0: and welcome to another episode of compare and campaign i am your host as always tom lando and with me as always is my co-host Miguel. and it is episode 142 being recorded on the 7th of march 2023 who knows when it'll go up probably later probably a few weeks later because i think we got two in the backlog or so whatever um Man, what else would I say about this episode? It's I go okay. Technically, I would be saying uh, in my Coyotes Ages campaign, where you know I'm I'm discussing a campaign of the past that I used to run. Uh, but so so I would have I would be saying it's Operation Birth and Death, Operation Birth and Death from uh, the a song a birth a death from uh self-titled album. You know it's funny, I've definitely talked about it on the podcast before, but I haven't talked about it on any episode recent to this when we've come into the act of Wormarororos is like so I I worry that like a new listener might think that I'm using this title Wormoroboros, and I've never like read the book or something. I know the book if that's what you're <laughs> thinking. Um And I even, there was something, uh, a little reference is, uh, you know, I talked about the nut farmers that the players had met uh, a few ops, a couple ops ago. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, When they rescued those nut farmers, uh, I had them speak in the very flowery, bizarre kind of manner of the characters in uh, Wormoroboros as a kind of, homage to that as like oh this is like the dialect of these people or whatever um it's something it it actually it reminds me now i say it of something that i like that uh grant morrison did in his run of superman where did you ever read that
1: uh i read all-star superman that was him right
0: it it was but he did one that where like he got control of superman in like a new 52 or whatever i can't i can't remember the specifics of the of the context but he he did a run of superman that was that like starts from the beginning of the classic superman story but it had all these little twists on the story that i thought were so clever uh like um superman does not know that he is an alien, uh, like, like Lex Luthor knows that Superman is an alien before Superman does. And it isn't until Lex Luthor captures him and begins questioning him. He's like, what planet are you from? And stuff. And Superman's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it's like, as he's escaping that lab that he like sees the like pod that he came in and like realizes where he's from. Um, and it, it it's kind of one thing you might know it for is uh, Superman didn't wear like a classic costume for much of it. He wore like a black shirt with the Superman emblem on it. And like, Vaguely
1: the... familiar with that image. Sounds cool though. I mean, I liked uh, Morrison's take on stuff with all-star Superman, so I should check this out.
0: Well, the, the thing that I was going to mention uh, that reminded me of is, is this flower the idea of having this flowery dialect, or or having this flowery way of speech be a dialect for these people. Um, When, when Grant Morrison introduced like flashbacks to Krypton and everything that basically he treated the way that Kirby used to write comics as just the way that Kryptonians talk. So the hyper-expository way that Kirby would have characters talk of like, I am doing the thing which will do this because I am doing this to do this. Uh, that's just like how every Kryptonian talks. Like everything they say, they like qualify in like four different ways for huh. like expositional context. That was um, very and clever. I just, yeah, exactly. I, I thought it was neat. It's like a neat homage to Kirby while also, uh, you know, adding a really interesting sort of detail to the setting. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so, uh, Wormoroboros is the act, and it would be Operation Birth and Death, which is like the third operation. But you know what, McGill, I have come across... Like, I found the Facebook chat, it like, I think I had established at some point, or I realized during one of these recent episodes, like, this act was the point at which we had begun just, like, playing via text. I think largely because of the pandemic or something, like, people were having to really monitor their internet use uh, because of, uh, particularly Chantel, who's in, like, sort of a, a semi-rural area. And so, uh, you know, for work and in terms of, like, sharing with the rest of her family, there was a certain amount of, like, internet usage monitoring that had to be done. And so we couldn't just be, uh, you know, sort of live streaming it on Roll20, but we got around that by just doing it text-based. And uh, so for... The thing is, that the advantages of that is that I found the full text record of, like, the whole act, basically. And I was thinking about, like, man, this is going to take so long if I, like, try to cover all the stuff in every operation in the episode. And I was like, why don't I just slow it down? Like, we talked about recently how we're gaining with furious speed upon where I'm at in my game as it is and we can just scale it back by by sort of zooming in and just li- literally looking at the record and covering that instead of just sort of me gesturing at the overall operation. What do you think of that?
1: I mean, I think that's pretty... that That's neat. Man, I just... I still think it's... To have the transcript of the entire act would be really interesting to, to go back and go through. It's something that has happened to me where often when I'm playing a campaign and my players are really enjoying it, at some point somebody says, damn, we should have been like recording this whole thing somehow, like setting up a digital recorder and recording our sessions. But of course, we never actually do, uh, which is why for this podcast, I only ever have my notes to go off of. But uh, I'm kind of blown away by the like, what was it like revisiting the actual gameplay of your your campaign?
0: I mean, I, uh, I, I had, I had all, so I think I figured out at some point, like I, so I had written out, you can see in our notes, like I wrote out my summary of the, uh, operation. It's like a bunch of paragraphs, but those, uh, towards the end of those, I, I think I realized I'm like, there must, I, I remember like typing this out or something or like having this somewhere. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to look for that and finding it. And then once I found the record and started going through it, it's like, I have no use for this summary anymore because it's <laughs> so, it's so inaccurate. Basically, it's like what I vaguely remember happened, whereas like it's so much more interesting looking at like the literal like word for word character react reactions that characters had. And to that end, I want to actually start this episode not um, because I had been looking at like the very beginning of Operation Birth and Death. But then I started scrolling up a bit and I realized that a really good place to start would be uh, the discussion in which they decided to uh, side with Queen Isa in the previous operation. Oh, cool. Rather than Queen- King Cap. Because I have that whole conversation. And uh, yeah. It's, this is uh, me. We'll get,
1: look directly back through time.
0: Yeah. Go through, go th- get get the full record. But also, McGill, I know you have something pretty cool to talk about. Uh, We're finally going to talk about Savage Worlds, which is an RPG that I've heard about so much, but I have, like, no knowledge of myself. I've never played it. I've never even looked at a Savage World thing, I think, except for uh, there was that, that Borderlands Savage Worlds thing that I saw once. That was it. Uh but I don't know anything about the rules or anything. And also I have a new game I've been playing. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, man, I've been playing uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands.
1: Nice, cool. Uh, I'll admit the that's one of the Tom Clancy ones, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: I've toyed around um, with those games from time to time, but they never really do much for me.
0: It's funny. I went in expecting very little, but it is turning out to be a fairly There's a like there's plenty wrong with it, but as a game, uh it's giving me like exactly what I wanted when I decided to pick it up, which is like I wanted I was looking for inspiration for Going Commando. I've recently, like, figured out all the classes and the special abilities for Going Commando. I've been working on it. But, like, for designing the game, I was looking for inspiration, and I was in the mood to, like, play something like... uh I, I thought about playing... Going back to the 7.62 High Caliber, which is, like, a 3D uh pause-and-play jagged alliance knockoff uh from eastern europe it's like um it's the sequel to brigade e5 new jagged union which is a title that tells you basically everything you need to know about the game it's like well it's the knockoff of jagged alliance but it's eastern european because the title is fucking bizarre <laughs> and uh <laughs> but but like it's cool because those Eastern European developers are the ones that really introduced uh, the sort of, like, the direction that they took Jade Alliance in is, like not turn based but like pause and play and kind of like real time and whatnot. with all these like little timers for actions and whatnot, and I find them really interesting although they're extremely intensive and like there's a lot going on and you do a lot of like I do just a ton of save scumming like I, I basically reload every time like a shot doesn't go the way I want um it, cause cause you die like immediately like as soon as you get hit or something it's like well fuck it's over Um, but, like, and and it's, it's interesting to say, like, like, to mention that sort of lineage of, like, post-Jagged Alliance game from Eastern Europe, because now the people making Jagged Alliance 3, which we'll see, like, it seems to be the most official Jagged Alliance 3 we've gotten, and we'll see how it goes, but, like, it seems to largely be, like, I think it's Hamamount Games, uh, who uh, worked on, I think they're known for Tropico. I I think they're Bulgarian. Uh, I've, I'm saying a lot of stuff that it's like, I think, because (laughs) I, I, I don't really want to look it all up right now. It's too much of a tangent, but, um, you know, it's funny. Like they're, those games are all kind of, they're known for a certain kind of like jank, but I do find them pretty enjoyable. And, but but the thing was, like, so I was thinking of playing one of these games, but it just, like, I don't think I was down for that level of complexity. Like, I'm still not finished Shadow of War, but I was sort of coming off Shadow of War, and I wanted something that was, like, that level of kind of, like, just jump into it, kind of open world, uh, third person or first person kind of thing. But I did still want the thing of, like, roaming around a big like landscape divided into zones full of objectives and side quests and stuff, um with like a little team. And that's like exactly what Ghost Recon Wildland gives me Wildlands gives me. I'd say it is what it really kinda reminds me or, or like the game that I think it wants to be is Far Cry Two. Um which it the thing is like the writing I don't want to hold up Far Cry 2 as, like, this incredible uh piece of writing, but, like, it is so much better than, uh, like, Wildlands. Like, in Wildlands, every time there's a cutscene, I'm like, oh, my God, shut up, shut up, shut up. No one cares, shut <laughs> up. And, like, F- Far Cry 2 at least has, like, it borrows very heavily from apocalypse now in a way that like, certainly at the time was really interesting and, and added a lot to this game experience that like, otherwise, you know, it's the same thing of like, you roam around this big open landscape. It's very beautiful. Uh, there's a, you can decide how you want to approach situations. Um, there's enemy outposts all over the place. And, and the thing that really reminds me of far cry too, is that like, the enemy outposts always repopulate, and I remember people used to hate that about Far Cry Two. Uh, but here it is in, in Wildlands. Is like I don't know if there's a point where you do like secure a zone and the bad guys don't show up there anymore. But like so far, uh, every outpost I've taken out has eventually just like had more goons in it. But um, the thing that's really like in the thing that really uh, distinguishes it for me and makes it like particularly unique to the experience I want right now is that you also in single player, like it's designed to be like co-op with a few friends, but in single player, you have the option to just have like either go lone wolf or have like three uh, like bot companions with you that you can order around sort of classic Tom Clancy style. And like, you know, it's, the gameplay is way more shallow than something like Jade Alliance. Like, I would love something like this if it had the level of depth of Jade Alliance where it's like, um, uh, you know, you manage the, uh, like, in this one you are, like, inciting uh, a rebellion against the bad guys and you, I'm also, like, I'm not even getting into how fucking stupid and, and problematic the storyline but <laughs> um anyway i i so i'm just saying the bad guys but uh you're inside <laughs> I, I see like,
1: i i get what you mean
0: <laughs> there's like side quests uh where you like help the rebels and that unlocks like new uh like things you can co- like uh things you can call in from the rebels so you can get like vehicles delivered or call in a, an artillery strike or whatever and uh so that's cool but like in jade alliance you like got to assign rebels to like different positions in every like battlefield area and like equip the rebels as you like got new equipment and stuff so you could like call in deliveries of armor and guns and like Cut like kit them out, and then have your like rebels be like super well equipped. Kind of like in uh in Fallout Four, the way you can equip your your settlers and everything. Like that's kind of the level of depth that Jag Alliance has. And like you're you're overseeing this huge, uh, wide scale operation to like uh, you know, take take like I don't know organize. It changes in Jade Alliance. In the first Jade Alliance, there's, like, an island where a bad guy has taken over and is, like, seized control of, like, uh, the... There's, like, a, a thing that's being produced on the island that's necessary for, like, a critical pharmaceutical. And this bad guy has, like, taken the uh, taken over the island uh, so that he has full control of the pharmaceutical. And uh, it's, like... Jade Alliance One is very much like an 80s action movie. Like it's it's like Commando or something. Like the bad guy has taken over the island to do the bad thing, and you are gonna go with your mercenary buddies. You're gonna team up with the good guys who are the beleaguered people and the doctors who just want to get the pharmaceutical to the people, and then uh, you beat the bad guy and and you take back the island. And, you know, from there, it becomes more nuanced things like maybe you're leading a rebellion against an evil coup or, you know, in Wildlands, a fucking Mexican cartel has invaded Bolivia, declared it a narco state, established a death cult as its national religion. And uh, now every drug dealer in South America has like moved to Bolivia. And, uh, I'm just there to do extra jud- judicial killings across the face of the country. But, you know, the thing that, th- you know what, if this had like the depth of Jagged Alliance, the thing that I would want most of all is an alternate ending where I like specifically side with the death cult and like empower that faction like make it into like a like a fallout style faction based rpg and then let me like side with the death cult faction and like empower that one above like even the rebels or the cia or ever anything is like do the death cult ending that is like my dream of this game but (laughs) also like you know it doesn't really have that kind of like management or or like uh you know you control your loadout but you don't control your team's loadout or anything like that and so all of that is kind of missing from it all that kind of overall like uh overworld tactics i think uh that i really like about jagged alliance that's all missing from it and like but for the sort of like immediate engagement that it provides me with, like just drops me into this huge open world. And I can just roam around. I can get on a tractor, drive around a tractor, get off tractor, shoot a machine gun at some dudes. Uh, It's, it's, it satisfies that, that itch. Um, It's again, there's plenty wrong with it. Oh, I keep, it keeps crashing, which is insane for like such a, a triple a game that's been out for ages, but like, yeah uh so that's a bummer like again it just makes shadow of war look like an an incredible achievement of game design like it (laughs) it, like it infuriates me the things that it does to me like sometimes or an orc will ambush me just as i'm trying to like complete a quest and i'm just like fuck you fuck you and then like the orc that i'm trying to kill to complete the quest like retreats and i lose track of it like i fail the mission because the guy retreated while the other orc is attacking me and i just get so angry but that game like every part of it seems to work pretty well with the exception of like that classic assassin's creed problem of like sometimes you're you can't tell where your guy's gonna jump sometimes you jump off the tower and you think you're going to one rope but then you actually you jump way down to a different structure right next to a bad guy. And you're like, God damn it. (laughs) Um, But yeah. And, and so, yeah, uh, again, like I went into wildlands, like expecting nothing. And like, as it is, it's like, yeah, I'll say it's, it looks really nice. Like it's landscapes are really beautiful. And uh, I thought that's really cool. And I like the range of vehicles and weapons and everything. Like it's neat. It's just, uh, yeah. So I've been playing that a bit.
1: Right on. Did you buy that? There's, a, I think, a Steam sale on at the time of this recording. Did you buy that through that Steam sale?
0: No, I uh, grabbed it through Game Pass.
1: Oh, ah, of course. Well, it's funny you mentioned, like, Death Cults and you mentioned Far Cry 2 because in the Steam sale, where I think it is actually on sale, there are a bunch of Tom Clancy games, I also picked up uh, Far Cry 4 and 5 and Blood Dragon for the combined total of less than 20 bucks so yeah get my far cry i believe there is a cult in one of those games
0: yeah um yeah there i i mean it's funny because i had heard different uh like like i think there had been all these different speculations on like what the bad guys in far cry 5 were going to be about and then like in the end they were just kind of like a a fairly milk toast cult, like, <laughs> the, not not really. You know, obviously they just didn't want to say anything politically, and and that was a big issue uh, for a lot of people when the game came out. But like at one point, I had heard that it was going to be like a cult that like worshipped guns, and like I thought that was such a cool take gun for cargo Far Cry cult. Is, like that'd be cool. Yeah, like man, because uh, then it it would be perfect to like that sort of like it it would it's really problematic in far cry 3 the way it like contextualizes you as the protagonist relative to these villains but then it would work so well in the context of like that gun cult because you being like you shooting your way to the end and then finding out that you're basically like the messiah of the gun cult is like the perfect Far yeah. Cry story. Um, so anyways, that, uh, again, I don't know where I heard that, but when I heard that, I was like, that sounds sick, and then it wasn't what they did. It was just, um, uh,
1: just a bland cult.
0: Yeah. Uh, with like some some like deliberate uh political messiness to can like to like confuse players about what gerrymandering is and stuff <laughs> yikes
1: i'm playing a new game
0: okay what are you playing I'm
1: playing resident evil village oh yeah so um it's, it's funny nice it, it may have even i'm trying to remember it may have even happened like over the course of this podcast but i believe it was you who recommended or pointed me towards uh Resident Evil 7 Biohazard?
0: Have I got yep. that right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Was, was that even on the show? Yeah, probably. Probably. I've Been doing this so long now. Anyway, I played that and I freaking loved it. Cause that's that one's yeah. got a real like Texas chainsaw massacre thing going on, right? um yeah great atmosphere i love how cinematic it is and first person first person and it really scared the crap out of me um at least for the first i want to say like quarter to a third of it before i started to get an understanding of when to anticipate the scares but like that opening act it's great
0: tell you what scared the crap out of me is uh uh faith faith yeah the game I don't think I played Faith. I think you have
1: recommended it's, Faith to me, though.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like Atari graphics. It's like super low resolution. Yeah, like, that's right. You recommended it to uh, me. But like with like, then it has like very like high frame rate, like rotoscoped pixel animation, uh, for like I guess what you would consider its cutscenes. Um, it it basically mixes this like high frame rate rotoscope animation with the like really low resolution so that like you'll see something that is just a bunch of pixels um and then it'll suddenly flash to this very vivid uh like rotoscoped animation of something terrifying um if if you are the type of person who pauses a game when something scary happens this game will fuck you up (laughs) <laughs> really it, oh man like it specifically will like play animations when you pause it
1: oh man well i gotta play that, that one like
0: terrifying and and uh not that i'm one of those people but general genuinely i find the effect i genuinely find the atari parts so terrifying like i think it's so perfect the way that they have used the like retro tech to create a sense of just like eeriness um it's got like it, a, totally a creepypasta
1: kind of feel to it.
0: it it um it's actually uh i would say you know organ trail wasn't playing for fear the way this is but organ trail is similar in the way it looks
1: okay cool yeah, I, I mean, I, I looked at the trailers. Oh, yeah, and I, it looks y- yeah, really Yeah, you great. wish-listed
0: it after I showed yep. you the trailer because that trailer is fucking incredible. That's the other thing. is The sound design is amazing. It uses that terrible, warbly computer uh, Like the Dr. Spitezo voice I, synthesizer I, kind of thing. I love. That's my favorite thing. You know, one time I had an Uber driver who had uh, one of those... Like, you know, he he had one of those things from smoking too much where he has the uh, thing in his throat. It's a tracheotomy. Yeah, and so he had one of those robot voices, and his sounded like that. And I came out of that Uber like, God, I really hope something causes me to sound like that someday in my life. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, it sucks for him, but, like, I would love to have that be my voice. That's I mean, so fucking cool.
1: I'm pretty sure you can just buy one of those devices oh,
0: man, fuck, I should. It's just a microphone
1: um, that you put up to your throat, right?
0: But, yeah, the way that... But, like, you know, they always make... This is a sad thing, but it's, like, they always make medical equip like, necessity equipment like that, medical equipment, like, super expensive. Like, you know, I would assume that they... Charge out the wazoo for even, and that like that's the thing it's like I assume that people who really have that problem would love to have one that just does a normal voice. Yeah. So like <laughs> that, like the fact that he had to settle for that means that they must be fucking expensive. Uh, like,
1: yeah, true enough. Um, I. I, I but, that, but that's but just getting into uh, like check eBay.
0: Dy- <laughs> true, but this is just like the dystopian cyberpunk reality that we live in is like. Yeah. Oh, you you need a wheelchair of fifteen hundred dollars. Um. So. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But but faith is amazing. Spook me the hell out.
1: Uh, and Resident Evil Village. Um, not scary. I didn't think it, I don't find it scary. Love the graphics. Oh, have you
0: gotten to the part with the baby yet?
1: Uh, no, I haven't gotten to the part with the baby <laughs> yet. But I mean, I've played through. I want to say like first quarter of the game. Usually they, they front load the really big, like jump scary sequences because that's the part of the game most people are going to play. And, uh, this one hasn't gotten me spooked at all, but I'm still really enjoying the heck out of it. I think the graphics are great. I think the like the level design is really cool. I'm loving running around, uh, not just the village, but this big like castle where all these creepy people live. Uh, that's really awesome. And uh, the vibe for this one, like I, I said, uh, Biohazard is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This one is making me think of like Van Helsing or maybe Sleepy Hollow where it's this winter setting.
0: Well, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, Bram
1: Stoker's Dracula as well. Like Blood on the Snow, Winter Setting, Gothic boobs. Castle. Uh, I haven't seen any like... Boobs. <laughs> I haven't seen a preponderance of I had to say it yet. twice. Oh, Okay. But I've seen the the giant lady, Lady Dimitrescu, or however you pronounce her name.
0: I mean, in one set, there is a preponderance of boobs there, I would Well, Well,
1: true, true, but they are... I don't know, they they don't... I don't find them to be the focus of the game. Yet.
0: In the way that Bram Stoker's Dracula, the focus was boobs? There were
1: a lot of naked boobs in Bram Stoker's Dracula
0: fair enough fair enough uh, I, guess, I guess it's it's a bad ratio
1: anyway uh so all that to say really enjoying village uh, though I I mean maybe I gotta wait till this baby part but uh, it hasn't yet gotten me the way biohazard did which I found that one like really scary that one I had to take frequent breaks because it was like ramping up the tension as I was exploring these these scary environments
0: yeah faith has the advantage that it's like it's relatively short and it's divided up into like chapters um so you can do a chapter and be like whoa Uh, whoa (laughs) and then you can like take a little break and then come back to it next chapter and it like plays on your the stuff you found, like suddenly it expands on your knowledge from the first chapter and you're like, Oh, and then, you know, you go through the same sort of thing.
1: Well, I'll have to grab that one too.
0: Um, man. So, uh, break out the
1: transcript.
0: um, Yeah. Where do I even want to start is the question. Um, I guess, okay, so they, they've, uh, they've, roped, uh, they've they've roped Issa. They've roped her. Uh, Gent says, not. I will tie her arms in front of her and hold an end of the rope. Not roughly, just assertively. Uh, I said, sounds good. She says, where to? And together with Therian and their captive, they set out to find the source of the brain caps. As always, the trees of Egglock tower above them. These parts often accompanied by massive fungi. gent uh, she, she, says we should keep an eye out for those amazing pseudo-beholders, which I'm not sure w- why she felt they were amazing. Um, actually, that's an interesting thing. Is uh, There's an image. Uh, we were talking about those gas pods, those gas spores, right?
1: Yeah, that I had encountered uh, in Writhing in the Dark.
0: And I wanted to share with you the thing that I have typically used as, like, art for uh, these creatures when I use them in my games is uh, Tyranid Spore Mines from Warhammer 40,000. Basically, uh, the Tyranids, the, like, xenomorph-type, you know, bio-aliens that are going to devour everything in the universe um they have they used to have a, a an a, an artillery i think it was called a biovore or something tyranid biovore yeah i is this still a thing it has they have I th- it looks like it looks like they have a, a current one um basically it's like a living artillery piece Uh, and it shoots out these, like, floating spore mines that then, like, drift around the battlefield. Um, they're a cool little, uh, cool, cool monster, cool, uh, cool, cool thing, I'd say. Tiernaid Biovores. Oh, man, yeah, I even found some old-school 40k art. It's pretty low-res, but I'm gonna share this with you as well, because, uh, Is cool.
1: (laughs) These are these are pretty great. Oh wow, those are (laughs) that's that's really something. Um
0: You know one thing I wanna actually shout out, I don't know if this is like uh well known. Oh, common title is Gun Beast, but I don't know if this is like uh Oh yeah, yeah, here it is. It's in uh the wiki here. Imperial savants believe that the hive mind may have made use of orcoid genetic material to create the bio for the biovore uh basically there's this whole sort of like theoretical thing in the tyranids of like oh each tyranid type actually like incorporates the dna of a certain like thing in warhammer that already exists and so biovores are like what orcs would be turned into uh and there's there's other ones. Like like the psychic ones would be Eldar and stuff like that.
1: It's way cooler so, art than I usually use for these guys.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, man, the Spore Mines are fucking sick. You can even get little models for them. Um, Gotta, gotta get better about swearing on the podcast. I keep catching myself. <laughs> um... So Connor begins to feel the unpleasant creep of the place's fell magic. The dark and mischievous aura that permeates the forest co- recalls unpleasant memories from Agalok and Citra Uh Or, sorry, not, not Agalok, the arctopus. Uh, that is actually, I had a star, you know, a little edit there myself. <laughs> uh, so it, it, the fell aura of the forest recalls the arctopus, what they dealt with in the arctopus and Citra Akra. Um Jen asks Issa how far they need to go I ask everyone to make a wisdom save With advantage Isa calmly says that at this rate They'll be there in a few hours Maybe just a couple uh, Jen asks if there's anything they should keep an eye f- out for um, Through the eerie ambience Of the forest Connor begins to pray quietly The constant of it provides a baseline That comforts the group Despite the encroaching magics of the forest uh, Oh This is something is, uh, I don't have all the dice rolls, I don't think, because Alex was playing on roll 20. It was just uh, Chantel who wasn't. Oh, Um, interesting. So so this was like this
1: weird hybrid uh, gameplay
0: only in so far as like, basically we used roll 20 because I would use the map and the images and stuff. Right. So I would just like, anytime that there was a tactical map that Chantel needed to see that we didn't have in Facebook, uh, I just get Alex to screenshot it and share the picture. Uh, but basically all this means is like Alex did his rolling in roll 20. And so it doesn't show up in the Facebook chat. Um, uh, Issa takes some time to think as they move before responding to Jens' question about keeping an eye out for stuff. Uh, she says, we should be fine as long as we keep moving. I suspect the greatest danger would be that it, that we linger too long in one place. As they travel through the forest, little light penetrates the canopy above. The forest is entirely dim, though what soft light there is seems more often to be the product of faint bioluminescent fungi rather than sunlight. Uh, Jen declares that they'll keep an eye out for anything in front of us as they assume that they are in front of Issa via their leash. Uh, Hex is covering the rear and both sides as he sees in 360 degrees due to his robe of eyes. Alex flexing his magic item there. They find (laughs) themselves traveling through the forest for two hours before Queen Issa brings you to, brings them to a wall of decaying mushrooms uh, they feel an instinctive revulsion toward the rotting fungus, but the queen encourages them to push on, assuring them that this is the right place. As they pass through a curtain of thin bioluminescent blue moss, a rotting stench greets them, followed by the ear-piercing shriek of odd-looking fungi that grow silent as Issa grows near, uh, draws near. That's probably shriekers, huh? Ah. Uh... They find themselves in an uneven part of the woods enclosed by giant green mushrooms where the forest canopy must rise up to about 40 feet. Inside the ring of mushrooms, they are greeted by fungi that resemble tentacled skulls, short squat toadstools that weep a viscous red fluid from their gills, and tall slender growths that spew noxious spores into the air like fetid chimneys. This is all a shout-out to Quest for Spore Dome. I think a lot of this was just straight up from the read-aloud text. Uh... On the far side, nearly a dozen myconids milled about, uh, their eyes meeting the parties as they entered. An unusual fungi grew throughout the area, and they resembled tiny brains on short, thin stalks. Those were the brain caps. Uh, Gent asked if they recognized any of the weird toadstools or tentacled skulls, which is a decent, you know, it's possible Gent would, uh, because of their college education, but I clarified that they were a completely alien to Gent. Uh, so what are we? Uh, uh, man, I, I'm, uh, I don't know if I can do a Hex voice. Uh, it's kind of raspy. I don't think Alex did like a, a Hispanic accent, although I feel like Hex Aquila almost should have one. Um, but anyways, uh, he says, so what are we after then? He looks to theory on it, and and these are what your children, Issa, uh, and then Alex. My God, the benefits of the transcript. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, Alex then informed us. Oh my God, there are grown men doing parkour in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I informed Gent that they smelled the overwhelming stench of decay here. Hex smelled ghouls. Connor smelled the sharp smell of alcohol to a sickening volume. And you know what's going on here? And is everybody every...
1: smelled the unmistakable stench of parkour.
0: Yeah, well, there was that. But um, you know what's going on here, actually, is people are smelling things according to, like, their fears or like their encounter, like Hex smelling ghouls is because his whole backstory is about his village getting attacked by ghouls and Connor smelling the sharp, overwhelming scent of alcohol is because he drank from that cauldron that almost destroyed his mind. Right. I was doing a little thing here where they smelled their fears. Uh Um, Chantel asked, uh, please tell me they are shouting parkour And Alex said, nah, they're just like running jumps over the concrete barriers. Uh, Sorry to derail. Gent says, okay, let's get the caps and get the fuck out. Hex's nostrils flare. Ambush, there are ghouls here. Uh, Quiet, disembodied sounds rolled through their minds. Connor heard the prayers of past congregations. Hex heard the soothing voice of his long dead wife and Gent heard the mournful work songs of the Bonesong Kenku from their slavery at the hands of the nightside eclipse, all distant, drifting echoes, to which Chantel said, super fucked up, ha ha ha. <laughs> but again, I'm doing the whole thing. They're getting sensory echoes of their fears and and uh, and, you know, their sadnesses.
1: I love the player commentary. This is great. I'm always, yeah, I'm always see, asking is... you, like, what did the players, how did they react?
0: What did they say? Now I get it. And I am always like, oh And now we finally have it. Um, so Theria nodded, nodded and began to scout the ground for brain cap samples. Uh, Issa raised her bound hands and sp- spoke to Hex. Please calm yourselves. I mean you no harm. And I spelt no wrong. I, I said no as in I know something. Uh. I know this place may be unnerving, but decay is simply a part of nature. The decomposition of things here is what nurtures the rare varieties of fungi you see growing. Uh, Issa is calm. She turns, uh, this is my colony, such as it is. Obviously, I'm not in much better shape than King Cap when it comes to the affairs of my realm. She looks down and says, sadly, it seems that much of the forest has turned on our people. Uh... Therian continues to gather brain caps proceeding a little further into the area. Uh, Either Connor or Hex asked any idea what changed because Alex was playing both of them. Um... Issa replied, Not entirely, but the fault surely lays with the human kingdoms deeper within the forest. Those that believe themselves to be the true Agalok while betraying wholesale the nature of their namesake. They've turned on all that are not of their kind. We are not the only ones to suffer for it. Uh, Chantelle asked, sort of out of character, Do we know a lot about the humans she speaks of? And I'll cover that in a little aside later. Um. Issa turned to the group once more, turned to face the group once more, and then said, "I would ask, would you consider an alliance with me rather than King Cap?" Theron looked back at Issa with a raised eyebrow. Issa continued, "I suspect your mind is already made, but I simply wish to put it in your minds that you have a choice. I have a colony as well. I have the brain caps." She glanced to Therion, though you'll be getting those either way. Perhaps I could offer more, in return for my freedom, that is. She sounded hesitant and uncertain. Uh, It's also worth saying, like, I didn't, like, my tone of voice didn't uh, have any bearing on any of this. Because all of this was just, like, text, right? So imagine all of this, like, as you would read it. Um, You know, uh, there's also, like, I'm not really saying it, but there is, like, ellipses like uh when she says though you'll be getting those either way dot 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 but perhaps i could offer more in return for my freedom that is she sounds hesitant uncertain
1: so just to be clear um like all the dialogue is in text everything is is in text except for some dice rolls that were being done on roll 20 have i got that right yeah okay
0: so this is like this is not only the record. This is the f- almost the fullness of the game as it was played. Um, Neat. It's just that there were there were maps that I no longer have, and uh, dice rolls that I no longer have. But we don't need the dice rolls because I have the results in my narrative. You know, like I said, if I would say if they failed something or whatever. Um. So, gents. Uh. At this offer, Jen asks, what will your punishment be? Isa says, as an opposing sovereign, I will be executed and my remains will go to feed the surviving colony. She says this plainly without sadness or fear. Uh, Al- or, uh, again, either Connor or Hexakila. This sounds like Hexakila, but it says, uh, and remind me one more time, your crime was uh, trespassing or something? They believe quite firmly that I am in league with demons. They believe the goblins and demons that attacked them were of the same alignment as the goblins I had taken control of. Uh, Gent asked, Is there any evidence that you could provide that would show them otherwise? Then here's where I did the aside. Just to go back to Chantel's question, along with the MPOC as a whole, uh, they're in the process of just learning about the isolationist human kingdom within Egglock as of the last operation. Uh, The humans that they rescued, the nut farmers, were exiles from that kingdom. And the situation the Mykonids are are in seems familiar. And also uh, Buck, the goblin child that they rescued. I said that uh, they suspected Buck's family was located where they were under similar conditions, sort of like uh, at the mercy of the predations of the human slavers. So that was to fill in like basically... The situation the Mykonids are in because of, like, Issa's describing uh, the situation because of the slavers in Agalok, and Gents asking, like, oh, do we know much about these guys? And I'm like, well, you already know what you know from the nut farmers and the goblin and all that, Uh, and now the Mykonids, like, this does seem to tie in with that. Um So, then there's a funny moment. Again, really glad I have the record for this. Hex takes... This is uh, Alex typing. Hex takes Gent aside. Okay, look. Growing up in the Deathlands, little tribal squabbles like this happened all the time. Chieftains were crowned and buried the same day. Uh, I was finishing uh, what... I was actually... What I say next is answering Gent's question about is there any evidence they could show King Cap... To prove their innocence, uh, Issa said, I pointed out that the goblins that attacked did not have the fungal growths of the ones I controlled. You were my best witnesses to that end. King Cap believes this proves nothing. Um, but to what Hex says so, so, this idea of Hex taking genocide and saying, like, look, in the Deathlands, this kind of thing happened all the time. You had to decide between chieftains and went however. I said, well, hold on. Jend is from deeper in the Deathlands than Hex. And Alex is like, oh, really? Whoops. Uh, and I'm like, you mansplained her own country to her. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like, hey, this is
0: how things are in the Deathlands. It's like, no, she's from the Deathlands. You're like from the border of the Deathlands. <laughs> um, so moving past that, uh, Hex said... Queen Issa has the resources we need. We don't necessarily need anything from King Cap. What about just allying ourselves with her? It would save us the trouble of getting her back at least. He says looking over to the Mykonids. Chantel asked, Do we need to pass through King Cap to get back to where we need to go? We could just not go back to them and leave with the Brain Caps and he won't know the better. Uh, Also, and I'm not sure what made them think this, But, uh, we also have a message from Alex that reads also King cap was a bit of a dick chimes in Connor. I don't remember King cap being a dick (laughs) or Connor feeling that way, but I could go back and check the record. Um, but speaking on Chantel's thing about, uh, we could just not go back to them and leave with the brain caps and he won't know the better. I said that assessment is correct. Chantel. Um, She says, the other thing is, sounds as if these guys, both colonies, are going to continue to endure hardship by the humans, convincing the king that they would do better to align against them. Um, And then I also did a little out-of-character thing just to establish. The oasis that Hex is from, as I understood it, is located basically at the meeting point between the Deathlands, the Wastelands, and the jungle borders. Uh, he'd be familiar with tribal squabbles, but I just wanted to make it clear that Jen is from deep in the Deathlands, whereas Hex is like from the border, like I said, and could have spent as much, if not more, time in other neighboring regions. So we got a little bit of background in Hex, fleshed uh, uh, a little background for Hex, fleshed out there as well. Uh, so they're still talking it out. Alex's One of Alex's characters says, King Cap didn't really seem open-minded, convincing it might be a tough job, but I see your point. Gent uh, says, Issa, if we leave here, it may not be wise for you to stick around. Where might you go? Uh, Therian is now watching them uh, talk to Issa as he harvests the Brain Cap, seeing what decision they come to. Uh, Issa replies that she will take her colony further north, away from King Cap's people, at least for a good while. Perhaps in the future, when she is not under duress, she could confront him again on better terms. Regardless, uh, the party would have her allegiance and all the wealth that she has in return. She cannot afford to be weighed down in her flight. Um, Chantel asked if there were any other, other questions before uh, they voted. Uh Issa thought for a moment and said, "Unless there were a better direction for me to take, that you had in mind, of course, it would be quite agreeable to any outcome that spares my life naturally." Um, Alex, uh, one of Alex's characters said, "Yeah, one more question: Are you like a necromancer? Our bosses don't really get along with necromancers." And I had her reply, No, I deal in natural decla- decay and the magics of the forest. I do not directly interfere in matters of life and death with magic of my own. Not typically, anyway. She says after a pause, I would be unsure of my record regarding such things if my entire history were bought- brought into question, but I do not consider myself a necromancer. No. Um. What she's mentioning there is, like, I think there would be a possibility that Issa has the ability to, like, Animate corpses using her like uh, control spores and whatnot. So maybe she's done that before and she's like, Well, I may have raised a dead once, technically. Uh, Therian walks over to the group with a small bag of brain caps. Shouldn't be much longer here. Are we uh, cutting her loose? He glances to Issa. Uh, One of Alex's characters says, Yeah, I think we better, I think we do better making an ally here than with King Cap. Queen Issa at least helped us get what we needed. Uh, Chantel agreed we should just leave her be. Queen Issa, we represent a faction known as MPOC. If you'd be willing to meet with some of our representatives, we'd be willing to offer assistance against these so-called true Agalokians. She nods. I won't necessarily be easy, easy to get in touch with after this, you understand. I presume you will have ways of solving this issue. That is, I won't be able to meet you here uh, here again, for example. Ethereum proceeds to harvest the last brain caps he needs. Uh, someone uh, untied Issa, and uh, Alex clarified that they have the Sending Crystal. Um, and I said, yeah, the Sending Crystal will work. That's basically what I was sort of leading them into here. Upon her release, Isa stepped back a bit and then said, as I mentioned, I owe you for this. Please remain calm. And uh, she watched you. She watched them all for a moment before co- becoming still and quiet. Then a large crashing sound, like that of an elephant, comes trundling through the forest to the northeast, uh, at which Gent hid, uh, lumbering through the trees slash mushroom line. Two giants covered in black wrappings emerge from care emerge carrying a large chest, each one holding one end. The giants walk over and place the chest down beside Issa, and. Uh, Chantel ducks into some nearby, uh, or Gent or ducks into some nearby mushrooms, trees, uh, and Issa opens the chest and presents the contents to the group with a gesture. And uh, Issa moves over to some Mike nids at the back of the ring of mushrooms near the ledge. One walks up to the ledge, then returns to Issa. Uh, she comes back and places uh, what appears to be a single potion atop the contents of the ch- chest and says a little personal touch and then she stands slightly to the side of the chest and looks up at the towering brutes I'm glad that we are not enemies there is something of a smile in her voice I suppose if that is all for now I should be taking my leave and Gent said, Issa, I have one request. I feel bad for both you and King Cap. While I believe you have a plan to leave, please do not seek revenge against the other colony. Issa once more took a moment to consider before saying, King Cap will face me once more, and he will no doubt regret not slaying me when he had the chance very soon. But hopefully time will change the terms of our engagement. After another pause, she said, Our paths will not cross again for a great while. And She gave a low bow, then returned to her people by the ledge to the north, her giant servants following behind. Uh, Alex asked if these were mushroom giants or more like the night goblins they saw. And I said, they appeared to be covered almost entirely in black wrappings. This may be to obscure the fact that they are under the effects of Issa's controlling spores, much like the night goblins. The night goblins had signs of advanced fungal infection. These might, but if that's the case, it's been covered up. This is all getting Therian very uh,
1: last of us
0: mm. yeah right all the mushrooms i never played the last of us and the show wasn't out yet uh theory tied up the mouth of his bag of fungi specimens and asked what's in the chest and the players decide to go take a peek and alex also added in graphic brackets oh my god jc a bomb uh, but no, inside they found enough gold for two thousand gold pieces each, and a potion of of diminution, di- diminution, the a shrinking potion. Uh, I asked who wants the shrinky potion, and Alex said, "Would Gent like the shrinky potion <laughs> to do sneaky small stuff, or should we shrink, or should we shrink Connor and throw him at our enemies?" Gent thought this was very, or Chantel thought it was that was very funny. Uh, I suspect that the former was the obvious choice as shrinking isn't great for combat, but we'd be good as a utility. Gent uh, said they were cool either, wa- either way since Connor isn't the best sneak. And I went ahead and put it in Gent's inventory because I don't think Connor would actually want it. Or I didn't think so. And uh, Gent <laughs> said it will rattle against all my other belongings when I place it in the bag. And I said, alternatively, Gent could slip it in a compartment of the handy haversack whatever the case their mission was completed uh chantel said ta-da alex said huzzah then chantel said i feel a bit guilty about the caps but not enough to go speak to them (laughs) and uh alex said yeah that wasn't necessarily the lawful goodest thing we've ever done uh, and then I said, it will take four hours to travel on foot to, the, to reach the pickup point from which you are able to deploy runestones that allow you to teleport back to a mega base using the codes and sequences outlined in, in the dossier for this mission, Operation uh, Through Glass. Um, Alex said, I'm sure there will be no long-reaching consequences for our <laughs> actions today. Uh, and I asked if they wanted to debrief now or break and do it next time. They said they were down to debrief. I said, "All right, first stop. Turn these into Axel." Theron holds up the bag of supplies or uh, of samples, and Chantel said, "Yes, let's get these in safe hands." Uh, Alex said, "Certainly. I imagine those mushrooms are better fresh." Uh, they joined Theron in delivering the mushrooms to Axel. Axel being one of the uh, veteran uh, goblin agents of the MPOC. Axel congratulated them on a job well done. Consider this a token of my appreciation. On the house! And he gave them a Helios C4 explosive charge. Uh, Arn is there when they made the delivery. And he asked, what did you find in the forest? Um, Arn being there, uh, he was the first ever MPOC uh, liaison in the human city of Austin. Um, way way back back when but uh then uh he looked at the uh brain caps and said apart from the obvious and uh so hex explained uh "Two two warring kingdoms of mushroom people they claimed they have been at odds with the true egg lock faction we freed their queen and she gave us a chest full of gold hex deadpanned uh arn listened to hex's report intently Miconids. I'll be damned. Makes sense, though. I suppose. Good work there. Good work out there. Anyways, I gotta go take a, care of a shipment of letters from the home letters from home for the base. Never a dull moment, eh? The little bit of that, you know, Bandit Brothers uh, Lucky Strike flavor. He's gotta make sure that the soldiers get their letters from home. Uh, Therian says. I will need to confer with the other MPOC administrators regarding all we have learned today. The Mushrooms will need study as well. If you'll excuse me, I still have much to do. He began to take his lead before turning and saying, and like Axel and Arne said, good work out there today. Thanks for having my back. He smiled and departed. Uh, so... The party was invited to the armory where they were able to see the labs were already hard at work regarding the brain caps. And there they were given an op bonus of 100 gold pieces each. And uh, then from there I said they were free to turn in for a long rest and they all gained 200 XP uh, which I checked with them and the XP total at this point was 260,065 XP. Whoa! Uh, Connor declared that he was depositing the uh poison resistant half plate that they got from the uh myconids as a reward, uh, in the armory. And so he got 3,000 gold as a finder's fee, um, which he shared around between the party since there were three of them. Uh, oh. Uh, actually i said does connor keep the 3000 or divide it and share with the party he said he'll share it around and i said uh we'll pick up next time with the next morning but then chantel said he can keep my share and donate it to paylor i think that is his god and i'm like yep and she's like like a temple or something i have a lot of money and now zero ball bearings so (laughs) could you not buy some ball bearings with all that money alex asked and Chantel said, "I mean, the best part about a shiny is finding slash taking it." Um, and uh, yeah, they were about five thousand XP from their next level up. At which point they would hit level eighteen. And uh, yeah, I, I we've also got some chatter here. We got um, so so. Alex says, could you not buy some ball bearings with all that money? You don't need to live unhappily. I mean, the best... P- and Chantel says, I mean, the best part of a sh- find- about a shiny is finding or taking it. Oh, ah. Also, Gent likes to buy some influence if needed. Um, Alex said he's going to check the DMG to see what kind of buildings they could afford. And uh, I said... Um, and then he said... Uh, To construct a fort or outpost, we'd need 15,000 gold. Hex and Connor have a total of 18,000. Chantel said, full disclosure, I don't know my total. And I said, I do my best to keep track. Currently, I have 22,400 for Gent. (laughs) Um... Chantel got a good laugh out of that and said, I like to think gent shows off the trinkets they have. And meanwhile, there's money strewn everywhere. And like they tip outrageously large because they don't (laughs) know better. Uh, I like that. Alex says, okay, hold up. If we pooled our money together and got 10,000 more gold, we could straight up build a castle or an Abbey, I guess. At which point I said, Drailton Abbey, Goblin to Abbey game. Just becomes about the party becoming aristocrats courting suitors. Uh, Uh, Chantel says aka me adopting wrong species and dangerous creatures Uh, Chantel points out I don't spend money I give a shit ton away and uh, yeah that was where that session ended so maybe uh, I'll break there
1: cool I I feel like I'm I'm like peering through the veil now actually like perceiving people playing the game Getting a sense of how your players sort of vocalize their characters and how they describe what they're doing. It's like a missing piece. Yeah, I mean, I
0: hope it's it's, uh, okay to listen to, like me going through the narration and everything. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I certainly love being able to zoom in on the weird little side notes like the people doing parkour or, hex mansplaining Jen's own nationality to her or uh you know yeah i
1: love those details this is great Uh, i can't i can't wait for more the
0: the players musing at the fact that they could literally build a castle or downton abbey hell yeah the the mpock equivalent of downton abbey
1: and you know knowing that group i'm i'm not confident that they wouldn't do it you're next you're going to tell me like next adventure they've they've gone through with it bought i think
0: the main thing is that at some point i tell them that there are going to be things that i will give them access to at a very high level at like level 20 basically that similar to like the stim packs and the mega stim packs or the super stim packs is like there are going to be very very expensive things that they can buy later that are unique Um, Basically, I'll just say, so the super stim packs are already very, very expensive because they heal you 100% with like one action. Um, But the other thing is that uh, Al Samasath keeps working on his like experimental medical technology or his like science stuff. And eventually what he creates is like physical augmentations for the agents that allow them to, like, increase their attributes by, like, spending money on the resources to undergo the procedure rather than having to level up um, to a maximum of, of 18. So basically, they get to a point where they could theoretically have 18 in every attribute just by buying augmentations, but every augmentation, one an, like, a plus one to an attribute costs 10,000 gold, I think because it's, like, such a crazy intensive procedure. And then the other thing is, there's that whole thing of, like, I think I mentioned this with the stim packs is, like, eventually they find out that Al-Samasath is a minister, has this ministry parasite in him the whole time that he's developing this stuff. And so they go from, like, okay, sick, let's get, like, augmentations, let's get stim packs to, like, I don't know if I trust anything that he made while he mm. had that psychic parasite in him. So it's interesting.
1: It's cool, man. Can't wait for more. So what do you got? I got all sorts of stuff, Tom. I mean, you said off the top of the show that I'm going to be talking about Savage Worlds. But um, Savage Worlds is going to be like my segue into another game that I found. So so, uh, another game I found called Low Life that is uh, built using the savage world system and uh, I'm gonna give a bit more context for all of this and how how I wound up deciding to cover savage worlds and low life and all that but first there are a couple of little little things I don't know they there it's it's like it's like not even enough to, to warrant a trip to the tavern this would be like if you went to the tavern and you just ate the bar snacks but
0: you, you sent me uh, low life and uh, I man it, I, super psyched uh it's so sick yeah
1: there's a lot going on
0: there um
1: yeah it's it's nuts uh i can't wait to get to it and i'm pr- i'm probably gonna sort of breeze through savage worlds as a result like i've got a really good sort of overview of the systems and then I'll, i can touch upon different very popular rpgs that use the savage world system but like i said like what's probably going to happen on this episode is I'll do Savage Worlds overview and then kind of introduce low life and then, you know, next episode and however many episodes we want to take, uh, we'll cover low life. Cause I have a feeling you know, like the, something about low life really struck me as the kind of thing that a certain Tom would grab and run with. But before we even get to any of that stuff, uh, here's your little, your little tavern snack, uh, a couple of i don't know what to call them D &D rules loopholes funny things tips and tricks goofy shit that you can use a goofy crap excuse me that you can use uh or not or use it to bug your dm one of them uh i i sent you on facebook messenger outside of uh talking about the podcast but that was the the rules loophole about centaurs that uh that i came across
0: Which uh, led me to point out the, uh, you know, people have been doing videos of uh, playing the Baldur's Gate Early Access and someone... Did a thing where they were like were able to stack like chairs on each other <laughs> to make like a stair like a chairway to heaven basically like they reached <laughs> like the upper limit of the level by just putting endless chairs on each other. Well, you're kind
1: of burying the lead there, but, or or uh, spoiling the twist. But yes, the the loophole is that a centaur is a medium sized creature, and then in the text on the centaur, it says. That a medium-sized creature can ride on the equine portion of a centaur, like they were, like the like the creature was riding on a horse. But if a centaur is a medium-sized creature and a medium-sized creature can ride a centaur like a mount, then in theory, you could have an an unlimited, infinite stack of centaurs, <laughs> all riding on the one on the bottom, I guess. Um, but here's here's a an actual tip that uh that you could you could use if a player used this i would think it was really clever but it's the kind of thing that could also annoy a dm and uh, i'm gonna sort of go down the garden path with this one and talk about like a tangential topic for a second but uh recently in uh, the campaign that i'm running Somebody was asking. The sorcerer was asking about spell components. Going like, do I need to like be keeping active track of my spell components here? Uh, I make a point to say that I refresh them every time I go shopping. But like, do I need to you know keep track of how many how many pieces of willow bark I have, or how many strips of leather I have, or how many pieces of flint I have? And when I was asked that, th- th- I, I'm. I mean, I'm, I'm using the rules for D and D when I play this campaign, but I want it to be fairly casual. So I'm not like super, super strict about things like ammo or spell components. And, uh, the answer I, I gave was like, they don't really matter until they matter. So, uh, I'm not going to, as a DM, I personally won't get on someone's back about spell components, if they're like, I want to cast, you know, lightning bolt, I'm not going to be like, okay, well, do you have and then go through the list of components for lightning bolt. Um, But if I put the players in a situation where all their gear is taken from them, like if they're in a prison, then if somebody wants to cast a spell, yeah, I'll be like, okay, where are you going to get, you know, the piece of flint that you need to cast this spell. So that was the answer that I gave. And uh, I guess a question to you, Tom is, i don't know do you track any of that stuff use stickler for for spell components
0: no and you've seen me do this uh when we played uh not ashes against the grain but the crimes
1: uh, against the faith
0: yeah when we did crimes against the Faith, you guys washed up uh after that ship shipwreck and you had to use whatever you. yeah that's right and uh so that was a time when i did uh take it into consideration and that was one where i had detailed that scenario such that i had jotted down everything like every weapon that you would be able to just like get off the beach oh yeah i mean i remember you can use like a driftwood yeah i gave you the list i think is like
1: well, and just Start like we die. were going around, just looting bodies that were washed up on the beach, and you you were handing out the the weaponry, and then we were trading amongst each other as our characters. But uh, anyway, all that to say.
0: Well, i i w- i was gonna answer your oh, yeah. question though was um so uh you've seen me do it that way, and so that answers your question in terms of like when, like you say, like when it is relevant, like if they're prisoners or something if the players are prisoners or something but then uh more generally no the way i treat it is if a component does not have a gold cost i consider the players as always having it on them uh particularly if they're mpoc agents like agents gotta have their supplies on them right yeah they they've got their equipment kit so there's that And then uh, if it does have, uh, like, gold component cost, then I simply ask that the players subtract that amount of gold from their total when they cast that spell to represent the fact that at some point they had to have bought the component to cast that. It's more like the way they do it in Forged in the Dark or something. Right.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that makes sense. Like, I don't know there probably are DMS out there who are real sticklers when it comes to spell components, but it's just, it's one of those things we've talked about this before where it's like, how many different sort of in-game currency things that uh, do you need that you just have to be perpetually refreshing? Like you always if you're a spellcaster, you always need spell components. And every time you go to a shop or anywhere that sells spell components, you just say, I buy new spell components and if it comes down to that sort of interaction, like why bother even tracking it?
0: Yeah, I also think that you can get a lot of mileage out of just putting a lot of the putting a lot of it on like arcane focus, holy symbol, or druidic focus. Is like if you just get one of those items, like a wand or something, it's like just cast it from a wand,
1: whatever. Yeah. Um, all so all that to say, here is your D anD D tip that I think is pretty clever if you're looking for a wizard in a crowd cast locate object on bat guano bat guano is the material component for the fireball spell and most people don't carry bat poop in their pockets
0: i do like that so i it's also good be yeah i mean it it would find a very rare wizard be a relatively rare rare wizard because that's like a level three spell um But
1: just that idea is something I had not considered.
0: That's like how you find a a wizard terrorist. Yeah, really. But just, just
1: that idea is something I hadn't considered. You know, take a look at a fairly basic spell, find the most unusual material component for it, and then locate object on that. And, you know, maybe you'll get a ping, maybe you won't, but it's a neat way of... It's like detect magic, but you're not actually detecting the magic. You're detecting the fuel for the magic. So I think that's a a clever little idea. Yeah, that's neat. So now let's talk a bit about uh, the Savage Worlds RPG system. And uh, I was was thinking about the best way to present this, because I do, like I said, I'm going to sort of touch upon all these, like do the overview, talk about character creation, attributes and skills, combat, uh, you know, the works. But, uh, maybe a good place to start is actually in talking about existing RPGs that, uh, use the Savage World system. And the one that really struck me that I didn't realize was a Savage Worlds game is Deadlands. Um, Deadlands,
0: it's funny you say that because Deadlands is the thing I picture when I think of Savage See, Worlds. See, I
1: barely knew anything about Savage Worlds, but Deadlands always sort of stuck out in my mind ever since I learned about it. And I think that's pretty cool. You know, the Weird West, um, I'm all for that. Uh, there's a setting called Rippers where it's like Gaslamp London, you know, werewolves, vampires, Jack the Ripper. Uh, it it kind of goes with that Sleepy Hollow-esque setting. Uh, or Bram Stoker's Dracula setting that we were talking about with Resident Evil Village. Uh, Weird Wars uh, is like the world wars, but infused with horror. So, you know, it could be... And it,
0: yeah, we've talked about this one before. Yeah, we
1: have. Uh, 50 Fathoms is like pirate fantasy. Uh, Slipstream is 1930s, like, diesel punk, pulp science fiction. And then Evernight is, uh, the, it's like a really gothic kind of fantasy realm. Uh, a typical fantasy realm, but turned on its head when a scourge of savage spider creatures return, decimating century-old kingdoms and cultures. Um, so that's sort of like the, you know, for those people listening, those RPG fans listening who go to their local game store and, you know, casually look at the titles on the shelf those are are the the settings that uh, savage worlds is used for and that you might already be familiar with, like deadlands for sure uh, is is the one that stands out to me so savage worlds uh it's this is like a generic rule set uh, pick your setting you can attr- you can apply this to it, and the motto of savage worlds is fast, furious, and fun it's known for Quick character creation uh, by using a point buy system instead of rolling. Um, skill system encompasses combat and out-of-combat skills. Magic and power system provides basic mechanics. But incre- I like this. Uh, this is something I actually have always... I just want to say yeah.
0: I don't think a point-by system is faster than rolling. I think it's the other way around.
1: Oh, really? Well, we'll see. I mean, I uh, we're we will eventually be making a character for Low Life, so we can put this to the test. This assertion that it is faster than D and D, but the magic and powers system uh not to get ahead of myself—is something that I I really like in this in Savage Worlds, and it is what I've wanted out of D and D magic for the longest time, which is. Uh, they provide sort of the basic mechanics for it, but the big encouragement is, like, you don't... make up your own name for the spell. Make up your own means of casting it. Customize it so that it's your character's magic and unique, as opposed to just, like, books upon books of spell lists. But... um let's get into this we'll we'll just we'll start at the top and kind of go through i
0: thought we talked about that kind of magic with mage the awakening and you you weren't into it.
1: you know maybe i wasn't maybe maybe i've changed my mind or maybe i'm talking (laughs) out of my ass tom i I gotta admit buddy i can't keep track
0: you can change i
1: can't keep track of every opinion i've had and i still haven't actually played mage the awakening so maybe in practice i'd like that a lot more anyway
0: it's kind of uh, you, you. It's like magic is chemistry, and you're just making up your own formulas. Yeah. So you're like, what if I do? I want to I, I want to make a spotlight that uh, burns vampires. What if I make that uh, using? one point in, like, matter, and two points in, uh like, light or something. I don't know. Like, that's not a—light is not a thing in Mage, but that's an example of how it works, and I like it.
1: Well, we will touch upon um, how magic works in this, and uh, we can do a good comparison. But I figure— we...
0: Yeah, and also, just, just going back to that thing I said, the thing is that, like, rolling for your stats, there's no— there's no chance of option paralysis you just roll and that is your stat whereas with point buy, that takes as long as it takes the player to decide what to spend what points on right i
1: mean it all depends too on uh on what uh guidelines you're following for your attribute roles i know that there are a lot of I house guess, rules yeah. and variations um but let's just, let's go through this from the top. Let's start with some talk about character creation and attributes and skills in Savage Worlds games. Um, as I said, character creation is point buy and Savage Worlds claims that's fast, but Tom thinks otherwise. Um, your starting character is called a novice and you have, you know, a, a pool of points that you can use between buying levels and attributes and skills. And the core attributes here are strength, agility, smarts, spirit, and vigor. Skills vary from setting to setting, but there are, like... There's a core set of skills that are persistent across all settings. And some of them are, like, athletics, investigation, persuasion, stealth. And then uh, you'll see, like, as we get into low life, there's a whole section where it's, like, new skills. Um, I like that, that uh, they included this, Tom, and you'll like it too, but they say every character has to start with one level in each attribute and core skill. Uh, you don't have to buy that. You just start with at least one level in it, <laughs> skipping, now, skipping the how issue. Is
0: it, uh, how is it represented on the character sheet?
1: Um. So, here, I better actually find a Savage Worlds
0: character sheet. Okay, so is... Um, so when you put points into one of these stats, do you just write it in on the blank?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at some other sheets here too. They all seem to have a similar format like that.
0: Well, I'll just say that, like, my preference, I think that the one that handles this the best is, um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, World of Darkness because World of Darkness represents your points and stats with little circles that you fill right. in, and the first one is always filled in. When you print off the sheet, it is already full. Well, you, and I think that is a very good way of representing that. And
1: so you know the reason it might not uh, be represented on this character sheet is because this was a change from prior editions. So in the current edition, called the uh, Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, they specify that you start with one level in each attribute and core skill.
0: Uh, Someone like me caught him slipping. That's right,
1: exactly. Um, Attributes and skill levels are represented by different polyhedral dice from D4s to D12s, and uh, some of these aspects actually reminded me of Essence 20. All characters start, they have a D4 in their attributes and core skills, and then there are a lot of non-core skills that uh, as I said sort of vary depending on the setting Um, so like you know a a sci-fi setting has like interstellar navigation as a skill Um, but they so the they're the core skills and then the non-core skills just change depending on what game you're playing with your points at character creation you use them to buy your levels which increase the die type again sort of similar to essence 20 here a D four becomes a D six. How many points? Sorry.
0: Do you get how many points do you get? Character creation.
1: Um, that it's uh, in the overview it says a set number of points, but it, it I think that depends on the game. It
0: varies yeah. from game to game.
1: Yeah, okay. and uh, yeah, the the dice values are D fours to D 12s So every time you level up, you increase the die type, increase the die value. Uh, with attributes, each step up becomes increasingly expensive. And then with skills, so long as the skill die is equal to or less than its associated attribute, uh, it's not increasingly expensive. So if you want to push like a, uh, your shooting skill, for example, higher, your shooting skill would rely on your agility stat. Um, as long as your shooting die is equal to or less than your agility die, uh, it doesn't The cost doesn't increase to level it up. All characters are required to take a certain number of hindrances, classified as major or minor, and then depending on the hindrances you take, you get points that you can then use to buy edges. And as the language would imply, hindrances are like... uh, like a, a a penalty that your character suffers from some negative effect, and then sort of the to balance out those things, like the worse your character has it, the better the edge, the better the advantage they can have, uh, and buy based on the points that they get from from taking on hindrances and edges. Um, Similar to, I don't know, anything like abilities or feats. Some are only available to more advanced characters. Uh, You know, sort of the idea of like gaining new skills when you take an advanced class or something like that. So uh, magic and powers, uh, they are the same mechanic, uh, they just have different words for the setting. So like magic is for a fantasy setting, powers would be like a superhero setting. To be able to use these abilities, you have to take an edge to unlock the ability to use magic or powers. Uh, Plus, you have to buy an associated skill and have at least a D4 in it. And then with that, you can select between a number of spells available to novice characters. And of course, there are, you know, the the spells, uh, there are all sorts of different ones depending on the setting, depending on the level of your character, and so on. Now, here's the word on how magic works. So the spells have the bare mechanical description and are deliberately not evocative. Players are encouraged to add all the flavor elements they want to their spell to customize it without altering its mechanical effects. So names, the way it looks when it happens, the casting method, the appearance, and even the damage type can be changed a bit. So that's a case where, like, You're building your magic casting character, and you can customize it to make it, like, very specific to your guy. If you, you know, you want to play a mage who's like an ice mage, then you can just make all of the usual spells but change them so that they're all ice type. They do frost damage, or they have ice-looking effects. So it's really just all in the name of character flavor. Um... And apparently, again, like I haven't played Savage, uh, Savage Worlds yet, but apparently like, think, something that people really love about this is the flexibility and creativity given to the players in, in things like magic and powers. So that's sort of like the base overview of building a Savage Worlds character, but there's, there's more that goes into it depending on the setting, and we will definitely be going through the, the whole deal when we play Low Life now combat and skill checks most of this stuff is very familiar like how combat proceeds but there are a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, features here to savage worlds that set it apart from other games and a good example is initiative what i think is cool is that initiative is determined using a deck of playing cards you take a standard 52 card deck with both jokers and uh, Shuffle it up and then uh, on each turn each turn Players and opponents are dealt a single card which determines when they act in that turn There are edges that allow you to to, uh, Be dealt more than one card and then the suit and face of the card determines the order so I just think this is like it's almost like a mini game just to determine the order within combat. Um, in case you're curious, the suit order is reverse alphabetical spades before hearts, before diamonds, before clubs. Face order is ace high, two is the lowest. And then jokers are wild, they permit the player to go whenever they want.
0: And the, Man, this is getting a bit beyond my ability to conceptualize, I gotta say.
1: Well, yeah, like, we've, we're now in a card game. So, uh, combat starts, turn one happens, the GM deals each person a card. If someone has an edge that allows them to have more than one card, they get two cards, then everybody takes a look at their cards, and based on the suits and then the values, that determines the order for the round. And if you get a Joker, you can go whenever you want, and you can add plus two to your skill, attribute, and damage rolls for that round. And uh, what I thought was pretty cool... Oh, it's, I said GM, but it's not. Uh, apparently, the GM in Savage Worlds is called the Marshal. So when a player acts, they hand their card back to the Marshal. When all the cards are collected, the Marshal deals the next round. And the only time you shuffle the deck is after a joker comes up, after a joker is dealt. So initiative is like a game of poker, practically. Or I guess more like blackjack, because everybody's sort of revealing and then determining, you know, who goes first, who gets the high card. Uh, There are wild dice in Savage Worlds. You ever heard of a wild die in an RPG?
0: I don't know, it depends what it means. Like I've heard of wild dice. I've heard of like dice that do different things, you know, uh like glitch dice in Cyberpunk, but I don't know, you tell me.
1: So, um I think you're going to like you're going to like and dislike this. Uh wild dice, player characters and unique NPCs or monsters, which in this game are called wild cards, get a wild die. Whenever they make A trait roll, they can roll an extra d6. So if you have like a d4 in stealth and you try to sneak past a guard, you can roll a d4 and a d6. You don't add the dice together, you just keep, you take the higher result. And uh, I like this note that it says it's recommended that all players have a uniquely colored d6 as their wild die. I like that note. Uh, Keep track of whose is whose. And um, then, On top of that there are exploding dice and that of course means that when the highest value on a die is rolled the player or marshal gets to re-roll that dice and add that to the total result. So you roll a 6 on a d6, you get to roll that d6 again. This process continues until you do not roll the highest number and uh, exploding dice apply to trait rolls and damage rolls. This allows for some ludicrous damage rolls, which can make the game deadly. It's uh, high vari- variability, can be unsettling to some players, but remember, in the, uh, in the world of Savage Worlds, and the game of Savage Worlds, you want it to be fast, furious, and fun. Now, um, exploding dice and uh, the wild die do require a bit of mental gymnastics. Like if the player rolls a d4 stealth and a d6 wild die, and they come up as a 4 and a 6, they both get re-rolled. But then if on the following roll, the first result is a 4, and then the second is a 4, only the d4 gets re-rolled. Because you didn't roll a 6, and then you total that all up. And, um... Yeah, okay, so that's exploding dice and wild dice. The action economy in Savage Worlds is pretty straightforward. On your turn, you can move and take an action. Um, But you can also take multiple actions. So like on your turn, you get the standard move and take an action. But if you want, you can do more. And you take a minus two penalty to each of your rolls for each additional action. So as an example here. If you want to run, hide behind a rock, while shooting your gun, at two enemies. That's four different actions. You run, you hide, you shoot one guy, you shoot the second guy. So you can do that, but because uh, three of those actions are in addition to your normal action, then you get you, that it means you are taking a minus six penalty and you take it to all of the rolls because you're performing three more actions than allowed. The rules are very clear on this point. You must declare all your actions that you plan to take before you take them, and then the multi-action penalty is applied to all of your actions. So players can't just say, I'm moving and running to a rock, and then when they get there just say, oh, I also wanna hide. You gotta say what you're planning on doing in advance, and then if it is, more actions than the standard that you're allowed, you get penalties to all those rolls that turn. There's something called bennies. I said before I was like, oh, Tom's not going to like the wild dice. I was wrong. It's the bennies you're not going to like. Okay. Bennies are represented by poker chips. Each session, each player starts with three chips. Uh, the marshal starts with one chip for each player at the table. Any wild card NPCs. Get two chips. You don't get to keep your bennies for the next session. You gotta use them within the session. They can be used like so you can spend a benny to re roll a check and a tree weeder skill check, recover from the shaken status that you get if you've been grazed in combat. You can use a benny to soak a roll so you ignore the damage that is dealt against you. You can use it to draw a new action card, which means you get a new card during the initiative dealings. You can use a Benny to reroll damage. You can use a Benny to regain power points used for magic. Or, in special situations, you can use a Benny to influence the story. Now, here's the part, Tom. Game masters will freely give bennies for when players lean on their hindrances, have a good role playing moment or a creative idea or solution.
0: See, you can say this, but I feel like really lost with this system at this point. Like I feel like unless I play it, I don't know really what's going on. I sort Benny's of appreciate are that. I think you're going to die, but.
1: Bennies are basically like a, like a multifaceted inspiration point, basically, or inspiration. So you you can spend a Benny, it's like spending your inspiration, and you can use it to do one of multiple, you know, options. But the thing I was like, Tom's not gonna like this, is they also say, like, hey GM, hey Marshall, you can reward your players by handing out Bennies for good role playing or however you however you like. So this is like the overview. These are sort of like the special mechanics that set Savage Worlds apart from other RPG systems but you say you're like you're lost on this. What how can I help clarify?
0: I think I'd have to play the game honestly like
1: All right. Well, I can you know what? This is a a good little a little segue here. I can introduce the game that we'll be playing and uh and then we'll close the door on the RPG danger room and come back to really dive into Low Life. So, um I wanted to talk first a bit about how I came upon low life. And I was, you know, I was sort of uh, scratching my head thinking, ah, you know, I want to I got to do I got to do a new RPG for uh, the RPG Danger Room. But like, what do I do? Uh, Do I do dungeon crawl classics? You were talking about that. Like, Ah, what what do I do? Character funnel. So um, I just Googled the weirdest RPG systems. I found a thread on it. And uh, I bet you can guess the the top answer.
0: Uh, weirdest RPG system. I mean, is it Dread?
1: <laughs> no, it's fatal. Um. <laughs> yeah, very funny. <laughs> this thread, though yielded so many cool ideas that i will be talking about on future episodes like you ever heard of a game called wisher theergist fatalist
0: no i don't think so
1: man it has i i got the source book it has major or observer vibes Ooh.
0: Don't tell me somebody already did Orbserver, though.
1: No, no, no. It, uh, it's not. It, it, it. Not at all. I think you'll see what I mean, though, when it comes to sort of how it plays mechanically. Neato. It has Orbserver vibes. Uh, one that I was tempted to do was a game called Prawn, which is ah, a, yeah. a live-action role-playing game where, uh, where everybody plays as a prawn, uh, and it's like a... A system of government, and you're supposed to play it like in a swimming pool, like you're LARPing as a prawn, <laughs> um, which I think is pretty funny. Uh, there's a lot of really good ones here, some of which we've talked about, like the world of Cinnabar is in this list, and hu- our old buddies at the Human Occupied Landfill ah, are in here too. Yeah. There's one. Uh, are... I'll, I'll I'll talk about this one because uh, I can't find the source book anywhere. Uh, It seems like the website for it got taken down years ago. But uh, you ever hear of The Cult of Osiris?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: It's an RPG where one of the mechanics, everybody plays mummies, so one of the mechanics is the players have to wrap themselves with toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, deep down on the list, I found mention of this game, Low Life. And uh, I got the source book, and I've been looking into it, and I mean, right off the bat, I just wanna say it is full of amazing illustrations. Yeah. This is some like it's really wild, great. wild stuff. Um, having read up on it, the thing that it, it reminds me of a lot is uh Xeno, Xeno Clash. Do you know remember that game Xenoclash?
0: Yeah. yeah. With father yeah. And mother.
1: Exactly. With father, mother, that's just like a weird, like it has a sort of a Conan the Barbarian atmosphere to it. Like it is these like barbaric kind of tribes in this weird sort of wasteland world. Um, But uh, I will say, though, that uh, low life, it goes for a lot more humor, humor. And um, there's a lot of like Tom Lando character to this. Oh, yeah. Like I really I really like uh, as an example, not to get too ahead of myself, but uh, here's, you know, some different races in, uh, in low life are the Bodles, the Cream Creamfilians, which are sentient snack cakes, Croaches, they're big roach people, uh, they're worms. I love the
0: Creamfilians and the Croaches.
1: Yeah, the the Smelfs, which are like el- elf creatures that came out of a rift and they're just obsessed with aromas um and of course it's all taking place i should say the setting of low life it takes place on the far like earth of the far-flung future after every possible c- cataclysm has occurred uh, like literally everything like you know getting hit by a meteor volcanic eruption uh earthquakes raining fire every Plague, every disaster nuclear war exactly every disaster you can imagine has has gone on uh, during a time that is referred to as the great flush and uh thus in the the charred irradiated remains of what was once earth the the new planet arises mother Oyth, the mother Oyth, where uh and uh It's just inhabited by all these bizarre races, creatures, and characters. And uh, I was just so struck by this. Like, this guy, this is all the work of this one guy, Andy Hop. And boy, oh boy, has this, like, been thought out. This is a very fleshed-out, in-depth, weird, heavy metal... Like, it really it draws upon so many other things that I mean, maybe not deliberately or intentionally or anything, but like, it reminds me of stuff like reminds me of flesh scape reminds me, there's a bit of human occupied landfill. There's a bit of hole in this as well. Uh, but also, you know, as I said, Xeno clash, Korgoth of barbaria, like just all the, just a weird mashup of all these strange things. Um, so let me just read out here. I'm going to read the uh, a beginning chunk. Um, the introduction to this is a narration from, well, uh, a storyteller, a storyteller of, of Mother Oyth. Cozy your goose and wazoo over the shroom and tune your earballs, curious wanderer. I, at your service, am the face merchant peripatetic historian and chronicler of what was. I shall speak a tale of the truth of what once was and will never be again. A cautionary tale, to be sure, but also a tale to inspire, inflame, and indoctrinate. May you be a greater self from its hearing, and I a greater self from its telling. And uh, I'll I'll leave it there, because if I get into this, like, we're going to be... We're going to be here all night. There's so much going on in this. Uh, there's, the, I can't wait until we explore character creation because they give you the character creation in a handy flow chart. I love the way it's laid out. It really gives you like the step by step. Um, man,
0: I'm so excited for that.
1: There are so many uh, options for races, for classes. I was looking at these classes and I was like, man, yeah, I love uh, the religions. The, the, I can choose yeah, my religions. own religion. Um, and all the language that is used is very like Tom Lando Goblin speak. <laughs> very, very much so. Um, yeah, the cream filian. It's so funny that you like these guys because this was the thing that you all, that almost put you off of this when I was spitballing ideas for what to cover on this episode. I was like, we could do this one where you can play as a sentient snack cake. Okay, that's not like, what
0: you said, though. You said play as Conan the Barbarian snack cake. And I'm like, what, <laughs> am I just going to be in his pocket?
1: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I I, I may have... Uh, I may have sold that incorrectly. <laughs> uh, you play as a, a sentient snack cake and a cone in the barbarian-esque world. Anyway. Because
0: like I think there is a role-playing game where you play as items being carried around by people. Like man, I if, <laughs> if 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 I'm if I haven't literally seen it, then I'm sure it's out there somewhere.
1: It's gotta be. Man, the Hork. This is like uh this is like uh what were they called? The the creepy, creepy freaks. Creepy what were they freaks. called? Yeah. Creepy freaks. The, the hork, you can play as
0: Frosty, the snot man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause the, the hork race they're they're sentient phlegm people.
0: I thought, man. I thought there was literally like snot goblins that, uh, remind me of Frosty, the snot man. Maybe I'm just thinking of the hork.
1: The ufos. They're like aliens.
0: Oh, yeah. I couldn't, I I didn't, uh, there was one that I, like, didn't, there was no picture, and I couldn't figure out what their deal was. Uh, No, that's right, it is the Hork, it just says the Snot Goblin. Um, I was confused. Oh, yeah, Uh, Ufo, here it is.
1: Yeah, the Ufos. Yeah, Hork, the snot goblin. You might think he's the boogeyman, but he's snot. <laughs> it is it is such a an interesting blend, I think, of uh, just like juvenile humor, gross-out humor, but really kind of compelling. And again, I say, I can't recommend the illustrations enough. Like, there, there's this one on page 16 of... Uh, a cream fillian, looks like some sort of Twinkie barbarian, and uh, just just fantastic, man. Ah, oh, he's so like grotesque and weird. He's got this this vacant look on his face. I thought got a big maybe hammer, uh, made of like a, a bone shard square. or something. Oh yeah, yeah, could be, could be. Man, so good. So we will be talking about low life. We're gonna build a character. I feel like I'm
0: probably gonna build a croach, but I don't want to get ahead of myself in the flowchart. So,
1: and uh, there's a lot of of great stuff in here too. Um, they provide you an entire campaign. I believe it's a 21 adventure campaign as part of the sourcebook as well. And a, I haven't really looked at it yet, but apparently it is great. I read a a review of uh, Low Life where the the guy said I GM'd. You know, uh, a couple of the prefab adventures from the built in campaign, thinking that this would just be some one off joke among my players. But now they want to play the entire thing. So got a lot to look forward to there as well.
0: I do like that one chapter is called A Brief History of Slime.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about the brief history of slime because that goes through the the timeline of this where we talk about the great flush and what comes after. So the
0: the flowchart does start with the race yeah okay i'm probably gonna be a croach then
1: all right croach people hell yeah yeah race trait skills language secondary character secondary statistics special abilities stuff and background i like that background's the last thing uh so you can sort of take into account everything that you put into building it um i guess a, a couple of other short notes here but um the GM in this is called the boss. the boss. I think it's actually, I think it's kind of a missed opportunity though to not call it the FM and just make the you know the the game master is the face merchant mm. since he's the narrator. But no, he's the boss. And uh, another note that I like is that uh, the in-game currency is clams. Nice. Got a hundred clams. So yeah. Stay tuned to the RPG Danger Room. We're going to play some low life.
0: I just want to say there's a racial edge and hindrance, a racial edge here for uh the croach, um crunchy shell. A croach's thick exoskeleton gives them a plus 1 toughness bonus. They melt in your mouth, not in your hand. <laughs> Nasty. I even the border of this book is so gross. Yeah,
1: it's got like a, a weird kind of like, like wet resin.: Text over poop.: Yeah, text over poop <laughs> Oh yeah, I can't wait to get to get into this. All right. So stay tuned next time.
0: Well, and that brings us to the end of our episode. If you want to get in touch with us, see when we post new episodes or follow us, check us out on Facebook, Comparing Campaign on Facebook. Uh, If you want to see our supplemental materials, check out pictures that we post and whatnot. Uh, Check us out on comparingcampaign.wordpress.com. Did I say all that right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I hope so. Comparing campaign on Facebook, comparing campaign on WordPress. Not me. Stop stealing my catchphrase. Go do your own catchphrase.
1: Level up. Get that ding. See you in low life. Splort. On Mother Oyth.
0: Oh, splort. Take care, everybody.